Have you ever received a message that was off by just a touch? What were the, what were the results? In some cases, uh, maybe the consequences weren't too severe. Like the movie started at 6.30 and you showed up at 6, thinking it was at 6. But as you know all too well, there are times when a message must be delivered with exact precision because the consequences at hand are of utmost importance. In fact, there are times when the message itself carries the weight of life or death. And so it is with the text that we consider today. So if you've got your Bible, please turn to Galatians. Uh, second half of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts are going to be a little bigger. Then First and Second Corinthians uh, are right after Romans. Romans, First, Second Corinthians, and then Galatians. And you can stay there for the remainder of the evening. While you're turning there, though, I want to give you a little bit of background. Galatians was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit uh, to the churches in Galatia. Paul had been radically converted and had impacted the world at that time for Christianity, for the, for the cause of Christ. Galatia was an area near modern-day Turkey consisting of four churches that Paul had ministered to. And these four churches were in the cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Uh, Acts 13 and 14 is where we're first told of the preaching of the gospel to these churches. In Acts 13.48, we see that he's in Antioch. Then in 14.1, he's in Iconium. In 14.8 and 9, he's in Lystra. And he heals a man, and then he begins to preach. Now what happens here is that two Jews from Iconium and Antioch actually show up. And I'm going to pick up reading uh, right there. In Acts 14.19 it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. They stoned Paul to the point where people thought he was dead. These are the churches he's ministering to. Well, what was Paul's response? I'll keep reading. In verse 20 it says, But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. What a response, huh? Many had come to believe through the preaching of Paul. This is what Paul had been through in Galatia. He had been stoned and then yet still returned. And it is these Galatians that he's writing to as we look at chapter 1, verse 6. So if you're in Galatians 1, I'm going to read 6 through 10. It says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ." I want to begin by giving you a little bit more background with the scene in the Galatian churches. Uh, false teaching had begun to infiltrate the church. And contrary to much of the false teaching that Paul had been dealing with, this teaching was coming from within. False teachers has, had rig, risen up within their own midst. 
And this is important to distinguish as we look at this passage because we're not, some, we're not talking about something that's way out there. We're not talking about uh, something where most people know are wrong. We're not talking about Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, something crazy. We're talking about false teaching within the umbrella of Christianity. Just as was said in Acts 20.30, from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw the disciples after them. So this had happened in the churches in Galatia. The Judaizers were this group of false teachers. The Judaizers, get this gang, the Judaizers believed in God. Okay? They believed in the afterlife. Okay? They believed uh, in the Old Testament law and prophets or in Scripture. They believed, at least mentally, in Jesus as the Son of God and that His death on the cross had significance. And yet, they also believed that in order to be right with God, one had to be circumcised, therefore identifying with the Jews. That one still was bound to the Mosaic Law. If a Gentile or a non-Jew wanted to become a Christian, uh, they had to become a Jew both surgically and ceremonially. In other words, they believed that in order to be a Christian, you had to profess faith in Christ and keep the works of the law. With that as background, let's consider Galatians 1.6 a bit more closely. He says, Paul says to the Galatians, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. The teaching of the Judaizers was not the gospel. It was a gospel perversion. And this is why Paul's first words are, I am amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you. He said, I'm amazed. A better way to perhaps understand this is he was wondering greatly. He was astonished out of his own senses that that they were deserting the gospel that had been preached to them. Let me ask you a question, though, from this text. I want you to look at verse 6. What is Paul so bewildered at? Okay? And sure, verse 6, we see he was amazed that they had, they had turned to another gospel. But in particular, I want you to think of this, guys. Paul had been there himself. He had preached the gospel to them. They had received the gospel. They had received the gospel. Acts tells us there was many who believed, and yet as believers They were still turning to self-righteousness. They were still turning to works of the law. Paul had not only preached the good news to them, but he had lived an example of someone devoted to the case of Christ, to the cause of Christ. He had been stoned and then went back in to continue to share with them. What greater sign of love and care is there than that? He loved them and cared for them to the point he was willing to risk his own life for this message, for the gospel. Can you imagine Paul's reaction when he heard the news of the Galatians straying from this message? I imagine it going like this. A messenger comes and says, Sir Paul, we have news from southern Galatia. Paul says, whereabouts in southern Galatia? The messenger says, Sir, the cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Paul says, great! What news do you have? And the messenger says, Sir, it's not good. The people in the churches have begun to be deceived by another message. They're no longer believing only in the gospel of Jesus that you shared with them, but they're adding to it the righteousness of the law and good works. And I imagine Paul, upon hearing this, just dropping to his knees and weeping. That is Paul's heart for the Galatians. Paul cared for these people. 
And he knew the consequences of this errant view. I really want us to grasp the weight of what's going on here. As an example to demonstrate this, do you know what church likely had the most doctrinal errors in the New Testament? It wasn't Galatia. It was the church in Corinth, right? They had (laughs) doctrinal errors left and right, like crazy. And yet, Paul still says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Jesus Christ. Similarly, the church in Ephesus, in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, For this reason too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you. To the Colossians, he writes, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for the saints. Paul wrote around 13 letters. And do you want to know the only one that does not have a commendation? The only one where Paul was not thankful for something? It was Galatians. The letter to the Galatians is, where, is the only one where Paul goes directly to addressing the issues. Because if you think about it, the other letters, what was he thanking God for? He was thanking God for the grace that existed within them. He was thanking God for their belief, their faith in Christ as their Savior. Well, the Galatians had begun to depart from grace. So there wasn't even anything to thank God for. The doctrinal issues were ir- irrelevant at this point. The gospel was being perverted. When something is added to grace, it is no longer grace. And that is exactly what they had done. Which actually is exactly why Paul opens the letter the way he does. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1 of Galatians. He says, Grace to you. Right off the bat, guys, in a sense, these are fighting words, okay? Grace stands in stark opposition to works. Grace stands in complete contrast to self-righteousness. Following that, he says, grace to you and peace. Further contrast. Peace is not the result of us having to earn our salvation. Peace is not the result of feeling like I have to go to church every Sunday. I have to uh, do more good than bad. I have to be morally good. I have to keep the law. I have to be circumcised. I have to be baptized. I have to... That is not peace. That is turmoil. Peace is the result of the grace given by God. He opens, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These things came from God. Grace and peace do not come from ourselves. They come from God. Verse 4, read with me. Who gave Himself, okay, speaking of the Lord Jesus, for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age. He reminds us that it is Christ who gave Himself for our sins and who rescues us. Not ourselves. We cannot be our own Savior, can we? And this was according, if you keep reading in verse 4, according to the will of God, of our God and Father. This was God's will. This was God's plan from eternity past to send His Son to die for man's sins. And that only faith in Him would save. Let me ask a question. Who gets the glory in that plan? Do we get the glory? If grace and peace and, and the salvation from Christ come from God, No, we don't get the glory. God gets the glory. That's how it was designed. Verse 5, to whom, okay, 
talking of God, our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. His opening greeting even is filled with the gospel that was in contrast to what the Galatians were believing. It's just, it's oozing with the gospel. So, with that in mind, if we look at verse 6 again, uh, I want to consider this a little more closely. And as we examine verse 6, we know that they had left the true gospel for a different gospel, according to the end of verse 6. But what's shocking to me is what Paul equates this with. Okay? What is Paul equating them leaving the true gospel for a different gospel with? Well, he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. Did you guys catch that? Who were they deserting? Or what, what or who were they deserting? They were deserting God. They were deserting God. Because they had left the gospel that Paul had preached to them, because they had left the gospel of Jesus Christ and added to it, they were deserting the very God of the universe. God is not okay with false worship. The false teachers in the church had deserted the true gospel and the result was that they had lost God and His grace in the process. And so it is with anyone who tries to justify themselves with works rather than solely placing faith in Christ. The Bible is very clear that man is completely and utterly bad. We're called fallen. We're called dead in our sins. We're called wicked. We're called deceitful. So to put any amount of trust in ourselves is to surrender the grace that's been given to us. Or as Paul says a little later in Galatians, it is to nullify the grace of God. I want you to imagine for a moment uh, that your parents collect all of your relatives together and they put all their money together to get you an awesome Christmas present. Okay? And, and on Christmas Day, they bring you out to the, to the front patio and there's a brand new car with a bow on it. Okay? $35,000 is how much this car costs. My, my parents probably wouldn't give me a $35,000 car. It's okay. Yours might not have either. But let's say this one was $35,000. Okay? Upon receiving this gift, you jump up and down like any good little kid would do. Uh, you're excited. And then you reach in your pocket and you go, Oh, here, Dad. Here's five bucks. Thanks. And the dad looks at you and he looks at you and he says, uh, Son... I don't want your money. Uh, we want this to be a free gift, okay? We, we really want to just bless you. We want you to enjoy it. We don't want you to have to pay for it at all. And, and as a matter of fact, I mean, $5 hardly scratches the surface anyways. So just please take it. But you insist, and, you, and then you get kind of angry, and you put the money in his hands, and you say thanks, and you take the keys, and you walk in the house. Do you see what's happened in this story? And do you see what... I'm linking it to that had happened with the Galatians. The grace of your parents in the story had been nullified by you trying to add to it. You were removing any value in this kind gesture. Well, gang, so it is with our salvation. The verse I alluded to was Galatians 2.21 where Paul is speaking of himself and he says, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If righteousness can, can come through our good works, then why did Christ die? In other words, if you can work for your salvation, why in the world would God need to send His one and only Son to die for your sins? It's not even logical. 
And this is the seriousness that we encounter in Galatians 1. So looking there again, he says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I want to point out an interesting detail here. Uh, In basic Greek, even Greek 1 at NBC, uh, there are two words which can mean other or another. Luke, you know what I'm talking about. I see you smiling. Sometimes these can even be translated different. One of these words is heteros, okay? And you, you maybe recognize that from uh, heterogeneous, uh, opposite of homogenous. Um, the other word is alas. Now, heteros means other or another of a different kind, okay? Again, they can be translated other, another, different Alas means other or another of the same kind. Okay, do you guys see the contrast here? Other or another of a different kind, other or another of the same kind. Both words are used in 6 and 7. I want to draw your attention to the text. The first sentence, the word used is heteros, which means other or another of a different kind. In other words, they had left the gospel... Okay, they had left him who called them by the grace of Christ for a different gospel of another kind. It was not of the same kind of gospel. Why is that significant? Well, in verse 7, he uses alas, which he says, which is really not another of the same kind, implying it's indeed one of a different kind. In other words, Paul is saying that these false teachers were teaching a gospel of a completely different kind from what the Galatians had already received. By adding works to the gospel, okay, by adding works to what we believe about Jesus, they had completely undercut the gospel's message and power in the lives of people. And the result was was that it was an altogether different and powerless gospel. As a result of the damaging influence of these doctrines, Paul had harsh words for these teachers. In fact, Scripture as a whole had a lot to say about false teachers. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 8 8 and 9 says that these are men of a depraved mind. 2 Corinthians 4, 2 says that they have adulterated the Word of God. Acts 13.10 says that Paul, being full of the Spirit, said to a false teacher, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil... You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the ways of the Lord? Jeremiah 23, 26 says that even their own hearts, the false teachers, even their own hearts have been deceived. And 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen says that they are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Do you see the deception working here? This is Satan's biggest tool. This is Satan's best means of perversion, is deception within religion. Satan uses deception. Ladies and gentlemen, false teachers and a false gospel are nothing to mess around with. The gospel must be rightly understood, else everything else is in vain. Again, another analogy. Okay? You're in your new car, $35,000 awesome new car. You've been given instructions to drive from Grace Bible Church to a house in Billings, Montana. Okay? But the only... Okay, no GPS. You don't have a GPS in this analogy. 
the only things on the directions are distances and turns. Okay? Travel 5.1 miles, then turn right. Travel 0.7 miles, then turn left. Okay? You've got about 30 instructions to get from here to a house in Billings. Okay? You tracking? What's going to happen if one distance is changed or if one turn is different? If someone changes one right turn to a left turn, and then you just keep following the instruction, or someone changes one distance and they double it, they went in there and wanted to mess you up, what would that do? Would you arrive at your destination? Of course not. Of course not. One tweak and we end up at a completely different site. And that is what Paul is warning about here pertaining to the gospel. And it's the same thing that he warned about in 2 Corinthians 11.4. He says, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom you have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not preached, you bear this beautifully. Or in other words, you put up with this. Paul's concern for the Corinthians was that the gospel remained pure. Okay, he would address the doctrinal issues. He would address the church issues. But the gospel had to remain intact. The Galatians, on the other hand, had strayed from the gospel. The gospel cannot be distorted, else it loses its saving power altogether. The gospel is the center, the very center and nucleus of our faith, and more so for Christians of our life. Gospel, by the way, it just means good news. Okay, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. But listen, if good news, if the news is changed, it's no longer good news. It's false news, and false news is bad news. It makes sense then that the center of Satan's attack would be on the gospel and the, and the teaching of salvation, the doctrine of salvation. If the gospel is wrong and salvation is misunderstood, then we have lived in vain. And do we not see that in so many religions today? Worshiping God in vain. Paul and the apostles gave their entire lives for the sake of this message. Saying, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men are most to be pitied. He said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I myself may be a partaker of it. He says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated for Christ for the sake of my brethren. In other words, he, he was in a hypothetical sense maybe, he was willing to call a curse upon himself so that his, his unbelieving brethren would be saved. He wanted people saved so badly. The gospel was everything to him and it should be to us as well. If we continue, uh, read verses 8 and 9 with me. Galatians 1. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. This is really only further support of what we've been reading and hearing. Paul's first first gives a hypothetical situation where even if he, one of the apostles, or an angel from heaven preaches anything contrary to the truth, they should be accursed. Of course, we know that no true angel from heaven would ever do such a thing, but demons would. Right? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. By the way, <clears throat> It's interesting to note that many cults and false religions 
uh, <laughs> believed that their leader or their prophet or their, uh, the, the one that they follow in their religion received their revelation from an angel. Right? This is definitely true of Mormonism. This is true of Islam. Right? The point that Paul is making is that it doesn't matter who is saying it, no matter how godly or angelic in appearance, if it doesn't align with the Word of God, it isn't true. Period. He wasn't preaching his own message here either. He was simply a messenger from the Lord. He tells us that in verse 11 of Galatians 1. He says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's, it can be tested. Paul's gospel aligns perfectly with that of what Jesus himself taught. In fact, there's a book, uh, The Gospel According to Jesus, uh, written by John MacArthur. And it was a very controversial book. Um, brought a lot of controversy around it. Uh, and one of the accusations on it was, well, that's just the gospel according to Jesus, but the apostles had a different gospel. So, in response, uh, MacArthur wrote the gospel according to the apostles, uh, just to show that, yes, they are the same gospel. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> the gospel was God's idea, right? The gospel was God's idea, and God's plan to save mankind and to bring him glory. This was no cleverly devised tale that Paul and the apostles had made up. Therefore, he says, therefore, he says if it doesn't align with the message of God, or in other words, God's word, then let the man be accursed. Beloved, wouldn't our generation do well to hear these words? We, even as Christians, so desperately need to hear this. Let me phrase this verse another way. No matter who says it, it needs to be filtered through the word of God. Okay? That's why he adds verse 9. That's why he says, he goes from hypothetical in verse 8, even if we, an apostle or an angel, preach to you this other gospel. Well, in verse 9 he says, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. This means Tanner. Okay? This means me. This means Deontay. This means Pastor Brian. This especially means the TV evangelist. Guys, there are, there are messengers of God, okay? Guys that are called to be evangelists. Guys that are called to preach all over the world. But the point that Paul's making is, if the message is wrong, then what message are we really believing and following? Everything must be discerned through the lens of Scripture. In our world today, there are so many perversions of the gospel within Christianity within people that call themselves Christians. So many religious institutions that are preaching another gospel. Here are some examples. And this is not exhaustive. If they teach that man is basically good, it's a different gospel. If they say in any way, shape, or form that we can work for our salvation or that things we do can contribute to salvation, then it's a different gospel. If they teach that man can be perfect in this life and attain perfection, it's a different gospel. If they in any way deny the deity of Christ, that he was the Son of God, then it's a different gospel. Which, by the way, uh, Jehovah Witnesses will deny the deity of Christ, just as an example. 
if they hold additional books to the Bible as authoritatively from God, then it's a different gospel. If they deny that Jesus rose from the dead, then it's a different gospel. If they try to sell you with the pitch line, your best life now, then it's a different gospel. If they teach that God is only love and nothing but love, then it's a different gospel. If they teach that man has the ability to become a God, it's a different gospel. If they teach anything less than true biblical repentance and belief for salvation, it's a different gospel. And what I mean is, if they teach that you can just uh, profess to believe in Jesus and you're saved, it's a different gospel. If they say, oh, be baptized and you're saved, it's a different gospel. If they say, raise your hand, do an altar call, come up front, pray, and you're saved, that's not biblical repentance and belief. A profession of faith does not mean you're a Christian. It's a good start, potentially. Lord willing, if he'll, if he'll do his work. But a true gospel is what Tanner's going to cover next week. These are just a few examples. Uh, but in summary, guys, if they're not teaching what Scripture teaches about God, okay, about man, about Jesus, about the cross, and about salvation... If they're not teaching what the Bible has to say about those things, then it's a different gospel. Like I said, we're focusing on evangelism this semester. And in the following weeks, beginning next week, we'll be taught by Tanner and then by Deontay eventually. Uh, And so I'm going to leave them to, to teach what the true gospel is. In the meantime, however, I want you to consider that just because someone claims to be a Christian does not make them a true Christian. Again, just because someone claims to be a Christian does not make them a true Christian. You're going to have all sorts of people tell you they're a Christian. Most, if not all, the examples that I gave will claim to be Christian. And yet, they have departed from the true and biblical gospel. Here's the practical implication, okay, to be taken for believers. When you're talking with someone and they tell you they're a Christian and I'm talking about in an evangelistic setting, um, maybe you're sitting on a plane, maybe you're in class, maybe you're at work, whatever, and you get into a spiritual talk, and they say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Please, 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 do not stop there. Ask them further questions. Ask them, oh, great, what does it mean to be a Christian? And see what they say. Oh, awesome, how did you come to be saved? Oh, great, so you're born again. Can you tell me about that? Okay? then you're going to start to discern errors. Then you're going to start to see what's really in this person's heart. Everyone wants to be, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people are going to claim that they're a Christian. That doesn't mean that everyone's a Christian. <clears throat> At the end of verse 8 and verse 9, uh, we see the word accursed. It says, false teachers are to be accursed. Uh, In the NIV, I think it says, under God's curse, if you're reading in NIV. Now, this, of course, is talking about the false teachers themselves, but the implication is anyone who believes these things is to be accursed. The word accursed comes from the word anathema. And an anathema can be used actually in two ways, but it has one meaning. The meaning is devoted to God. It means something that's devoted to God. And it can actually be devoted to God for holy use, like we see a few times in the Old Testament, or devoted to God for destruction. The context of this passage 100% leads to the conclusion 
to mean devoted to destruction. As one commentator says, the New Testament speaks of two general categories of people who God devotes to destruction. The first category is anyone who does not love God, and the second is false teachers. Peter, speaking of Jesus in Acts 4.12, says, there is salvation in no one else, no other name under heaven has been given among men by which we must be saved. John 14.6, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Guys, faith in Jesus is the only way. Okay, I want to share with you a, snit, a, little, a little picture of the Gospel so that we can understand the, the maybe I guess the, the reason for this word accursed. Our sin has separated us from God. Because of His holy and divine nature, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with Him. Nothing. Someone, someone had to die who had an infinite value and somehow this death would have to be applied to our lives. Okay? Something, I want you to imagine, enough to cover everyone's sin in this room, everyone's sin in the whole world, something of that much value. If I died, I couldn't even cover my own sin. Even if some really good person died, imagine the value of, what, of, the, of the person that had to die. Okay? Furthermore, we are all spiritually bankrupt. Okay? We need perfection accredited to our accounts. God says, be perfect as I am perfect. This is what God has done in sending His Son. This is the entire purpose of Jesus coming here to die as a surrogate for mankind. Now by faith in Him as our Lord and Savior, all of mankind can be offered reconciliation. There's a substitution that takes place. Okay? He got what we deserved. We got what He deserved. He lived perfectly. He deserved heaven, yet we got that by placing faith in Him. What a display of God's love and mercy. At the cross, God's holiness, justice, and wrath are upheld because He has crushed His own divine Son. He placed our sin on His Son and crushed Him. He crushed Him. And yet at the same time, what an incredible display of God's love. Do you see why anything contrary to this is false? Do you see why anything contrary to this would cause anger from God? He's provided the way. That's why two times in a row we see the word accursed. To describe those who distort the gospel. To dis- those who distort God's plan. When we have knowledge of what God has done for us and we, and we truly grasp it, and we understand the weight of forgiveness, it is absurd to imagine any other way. When you've known the grace of God, I, just, I can't even imagine trying to trust in myself. <laughs> this probably explains... Uh, why in Galatians 3.1, Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul was amazed, like I said earlier, and he was likely a little bit angry on behalf of his Lord. There was no reason for the Galatians to return to the deadness of the law when they had already received freedom from Christ. As was written in Galatians 5.1, two chapters after that, <clears throat> it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke or to a yoke of slavery. 
They had received something so much better. And so Paul is pleading with them, return to the Lord's grace in Christ. Well, let's return to Galatians 1 as we finish up. I want to read verse 10. It says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He closes here, in a sense, with his own editorial comment. He's not trying to please men. In fact, the message he bore often did quite the opposite. Yet, that did not thwart him from continuing to preach the gospel. Brothers and sisters, if you call yourself a Christian, and I mean the word in its literal sense, a mini-Christ, then we are called to do the same thing. Paul was among one of the, in the first century, some of the first Christians. And yet, 2,000 years later, here we are. Okay, we're listening, uh, we're at a Christian ministry, we're in a Christian church, we're reading words pertaining to Christ, and a lot of us call ourselves Christians. And I don't doubt there's a lot of Christians here. You may be here tonight and searching on the fringe of Christianity. If that's you, great, we are glad that you are here. I really want you to think about though, before you leave, I want you to think about what's been said tonight. If you're just kind of checking things out and unsure about the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're currently under the wrath of God. And I say that humbly and in a pleading way. You need to repent of your sins and turn to Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must, if this is true. And I believe it is. I also want to talk to the regulars for a minute, though. Uh, Those of you that are here every week in church on Sunday... Um, <clears throat> who are you pleasing with your life? And that's a hard question. I know I, I've had to wrestle with this too um, as I've grown and even as I've studied this. But who are you pleasing with your lives? Are you heeding to Paul's example here in verse 10? Paul's aim was not to please men, but to please God. And oftentimes, <clears throat> oftentimes when I, I'm witnessing, in fact, I'm thinking of one example we were just at the mall. A bunch of us went to the mall sharing our faith. And uh, I'm right outside a GameStop, okay? And I'm talking with this guy. And we're talking about the gospel and our beliefs and spiritual matters. And uh, <clears throat> there came a point where it kind of started to get awkward. And his face kind of started to turn red. And he wouldn't look at me anymore because I had told him Jesus was the only way. And he didn't like that. Um, and I could just tell I was losing him. And so what I said is I said, hey, listen. I said, I'm not getting any brownie points for this, okay? I'm, not clear, I'm clearly not trying to make you happy right now. There's no one watching around here. I said, I genuinely want you to believe this because I believe it's true and because I believe that God deserves your worship and praise, okay? And I say that as an example, not to, to boast in myself, but to say, man, guys, who are we trying to please? Okay, I often fear man. Andrew and I go up to campus, and every time we're going up there shaking because we're scared to talk to people. Okay, we fear man, right? We fear man. And yet I just want to plead with you as we go into this semester focusing on evangelism, fear God more than man. Fear God. Look what he says. Am I seeking the favor of men or God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. Paul's aim was not to please men, 
It was to please God. And that needs to be our aim as well. Men and women, if we're going to go and take the gospel into the world, we're going to be cutting across the grain. Okay, We're going to be going upstream. Sometimes, when we fear God more than men, okay, sometimes people are going to love us. People are going to think you're a hero. Think about Jesus, right? He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and what happened? They worshipped him. They worshipped him. They cried out to him. They bowed to him. And yet sometimes, when we fear God and obey him, the people will hate us. Just as they crucified him and have killed many others from then until now, so we too will endure persecution. It will be hard, but you know what? If we're faithful, God is pleased. So Paul asks, and now I ask, are we seeking the favor of God or of men? I I mean, I can say this over and over, but there needs to come a point where you examine your own heart and answer this question. Do you want to be liked or do you want to be faithful? If our God is that we want to be liked, we want to be cool, sorry, but that's not what we're called to do. That's not who Jesus was. So if we're going to call ourselves a Christian, a mini-Christ, we need to be like Christ. We cannot unite under this banner of religion. Guys, they've perverted the gospel. We need to love the gospel. We need to love the Lord. These false religions have nullified the grace of God. They have nullified it by trying to add to it. (coughs) They are, as Paul would say, an anathema. Now, we don't need to just leave them in this state. I mean, we we can evangelize these people, right? We can go and evangelize other religions even. We can show them the truth of Scripture. Show them who Jesus really was. Show them who we are naturally and who God has made us. The last sentence, uh, the last phrase in verse 10 <clears throat> says, I would, if I was trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. When someone becomes a Christian, their allegiances change. Okay? They have a new king in their life. Okay? They have a new master. They're no longer the Lord of their own life. Christ is. They're no longer king of their own life, but Christ is king. They're no longer their own master. Christ is master. He's a good king and a good master and a good Lord, but nonetheless, He is king and master and Lord. And that's what it means to be a Christian. That's, the term here, bondservant, is actually one that, where they would willingly become a slave of another. In that day, guys, it would have been a tremendous privilege to be a bondservant. You basically get adopted into the family. Okay, you're part of the family. You get fed. You get a place to stay in the house. Uh, you're part of the family. And Christians, this is what we are with God. Okay? No one's holding the gun to your head. No one's saying, you've got to do this. You, be a Christian. Whatever. Okay? <laughs> to be a bondservant is a privilege. As bondservants, it's our duty and honor to serve our Master. We must defend the precious truths of the Scripture. We must speak into the darkness of the world. And we must love our Lord and Jesus and honor His name with both our lives and our words. In closing, what we need to take from this text is that there is only one gospel and straying from it 
has severe consequences. May we hold, hold fast to the truth of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And may we have the attitudes of bondservants as we go. Would you bow with me as we pray? <clears throat> Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, for the gospel. Lord, that you made a way to make us right with your Son again. Father, um, the devil is at work, Lord. He is at work uh, within religion, God. He is at work deceiving. Um, Lord, so many people worship in vain. Lord, they give money, they tithe, they serve in so-called churches. Uh, Father, they, they waste their lives because they have nullified your grace, God, because they have, they have turned to something else. Lord, I pray that we as a group would take the gospel forth, Lord, that we would go boldly, as Paul says, God, that we would not be men-pleasers, that we wouldn't seek the favor of men, but of you. Lord, that we would be faithful stewards of the gospel. And Father, for those here tonight that aren't certain about where they stand with Christ, I pray, Lord, that they would surrender their lives to Him as Savior and Lord. God, that they would throw themselves upon Christ. Father, that they might receive salvation and know You personally. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, that it is true. We thank You for the Gospel, God. Make us bold, Lord. Make us bold this semester, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.